1: Listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts: Russ K5TUX, Cheryl W5MOO, and Bill NE4RD.
0: Well, hello everybody, and welcome! You have tuned in to episode number four hundred eighty-four of Linux in the Ham Shack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And you have come to a Weekender episode, and it's the ninety-seven. Is that ninety-seven correct? Are we are we doing ninety-seven? I believe we are. So, yeah. All right, so it's ninety-seventh edition of the Weekender, the one where the two people in the Missouri household have colds. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and uh, Bill is apparently cold-free, so that's good. And uh, we'll go ahead and introduce ourselves, and then we're going to get into our random topic wheel. I am Russ K five T U X.
3: I'm Cheryl, W5MOO.
0: And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right. So without further ado, I've got the random picker wheel all loaded up with topics. I've randomized it five times, as I usually do. I'm hoping that my audio settings are the way they're supposed to be, so everybody can hear the little spinny noises. And I'm going to go ahead and click the button, and we'll see what kind of topic we're going to expound upon for the next 15 to 20 minutes. And once again, it screwed
3: us. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. Yeah. I don't know how we're going to tackle this. I don't even know where to begin or why this was even chosen as a topic. But (laughs) the topic is Windows versus Linux.
3: Woo! Cheryl's out again tonight.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Why would you be out? You use both.
3: I haven't used Windows in yours. You're going to have to edit
2: my track a lot, so... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> a lot of silencing. Yeah, lot, <laughs> you lot get of a foot pedal for that, right? <laughs> yeah, I could, I could just
0: set myself up for uh, push to talk and uh, mumble. I would, I would take care of that. But <laughs> there's a bottle
3: of cough syrup on the kitchen table.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not going to take any cough syrup. You know, because I'm going to, I'm going to take my medicine, quote unquote, here after we get done with the show.
3: Nice. <laughs> <see. laughs>
0: get so, all medicated. Exactly. So I, I think what what I was thinking of, because I think I put this in there, I, unless uh, I'm mistaken. But I think what I was thinking of is we would talk a little bit about the the finer points of Linux versus Windows, and also the drawbacks of Windows versus Linux, uh, where where the two meet and where they don't. Because okay. uh, because uh, Windows, you know, obviously we we by definition give Windows a bad rep over here. So, um, uh, but
2: well, that's the assumption, right? Right. I don't,
0: I don't think we actually do. I don't, I don't necessarily think we do too, but Windows does have some, some good points, especially like WSL. So now you can run Linux on Windows. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've been using, I've been using WSL as a terminal emulator, um, which, which like emacs seems like a bit of overkill using an entire operating system <laughs> as a, as a terminal but yeah. you know what it it works
2: so yeah i do it all the time <laughs> yeah, oh yeah <laughs> like, like literally every day i'm inside a wsl running my projects so um yeah i uh, I, I don't see a problem with it well it's it's better than just firing up like putty
0: or or, uh, because if nothing else you've got your entire environment there so you can do way more than just uh your your vi session or whatever so i don't know how do we how do we want to attack this
2: um yeah that's i guess it's a a a hard uh uh uh, hard thing to i guess narrow down for us what would we want to talk about software availability maybe for ham radio specifically well actually why don't we we just
0: why don't we okay. just think of things like like that like a topic, and then just okay. hammer hammer on it for like thirty seconds so for example, software availability you know every Linux distribution pretty much without exception, has the ability to just pull packages out of a repo and they 've set it up sort of like a software store, so you can go which which basically does the same thing it 's just one 's GUI and one's CLI so it has Windows. Come up to par with the with the software availability. I mean, they have the the Microsoft Store. Would you consider it equivalent? Not as good, you know.
2: Um, I think for discoverability of software for at least ham radio, I uh, I would say that I've never used it for that. Um, however, I mean, I do have stuff installed from the store, like let's say Windows Terminal, <laughs> which I absolutely love. Um, but like, that's the only thing I actually ever use a store for, um, for, (coughs) for finding software. But then again, in, in Linux, because I, you know, I don't, I don't really use this, the software center or software store or whatever you want to call it. Even pop OS has their own little thing. What is that called? Let me hover pop shop. Um, uh, I know what I'm looking for. So I never... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I never I never use it to learn about something new. Um, and I most definitely wouldn't use the Windows app or the Windows store for that either I guess. but then again I'm not a I'm not a newer user so I pretty much know what I'd want to run in both both environments even for ham radio, you know even looking for free software availability it's it's available in both. Um, but yeah, it's just the looking at the stores alone. Um, I can't really. uh, I mean, I'm gonna just bring up the store on my Windows PC. I I feel
0: like like. if we if we make the equivalency between a package repo and the Windows Store, the Microsoft Store, as as like a where you would find software from, then in the Linux world, I get my software ninety five percent of the time from the store, and five percent by going out to the internet and downloading something. Whereas if I'm using Windows, it's probably the absolute opposite of that. 95% I would go to the internet to find the thing I want to install. 5% I might install from the
2: store. Yeah, because I think some of the store items inside of the Microsoft store have additional costs involved with it because of publishing it on the store. Um, so yeah, in general, I don't, I don't use the store in Microsoft to, to download software that's non Microsoft software. I guess, if that would make any sense.
0: Yeah, I, I think I can say without any caveat, like regarding cost or publisher or anything like that, I think it's, you know, 95 to 5 for Linux and 5 to 95 for Windows. I just I just really don't install stuff out of the Microsoft Store. Like WSL, the, the Debian distributions, like Debian, Ubuntu and all those that run under WSL, those are actually in the store, And that's where it gets them from. But
2: But did you install it from the store or did you install it from PowerShell?
0: uh, I installed it
2: from PowerShell, I believe. Yeah. So you didn't really use the store for it. (laughs) That's that's the thing is like you probably didn't even use it for that. Um, So, yeah, I agree with your consensus. I mean, your numbers there, that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, there's probably a very small fraction of software that you would pull from the store in Microsoft versus Um, What we would consider the store, which would be the entire repo um, inside of available inside of um, Linux. And of course, you know, there's no made up packages per se. I mean, I guess uh, power toys would probably be maybe one from the Microsoft store, but it wouldn't help you in the ham radio world for sure. (laughs) There's no ham radio magic button that installs a variety of software to explore applications inside of our personal niche of space. Inside of the ham radio world,
0: yeah, I think the concept of, of similar software distributed by meta packages is, is absent from the Windows world. It's it's one installer, whether it's an EXE or an MSI or whatever, to do one thing and not not give you the opportunity to install a category of software for sure. So I don't know what else. What about I mean, what about like the UI? I, I since since Windows seven, I, I've found the Windows UI plenty usable and certainly easy on the eyes.
2: I would c I would concur with that. I think uh I mean, you know, even uh Well, I guess seven, seven came before eight. (laughs) Ha ha. Eight. What the hell is windows (laughs) eight? Well, I've run them all over the years because you know, yeah, (laughs) when you're a developer, you do end up running every single operating system, every single version point release and everything else, including the ones that nobody wants to remember, like millennium edition and stuff like that. (laughs) And Vista (laughs) Vista was around for quite a while, but yeah, I had Emmy. I had a box running Emmy and, uh, I also had a box running eight and 8.1. Um, so yeah, so I've, I've run them all and, uh, I'll be, I'll be completely honest. I've never actually had a problem with any of them, (laughs) but generally it's always installed on more modern hardware when uh, I was using it because it was generally for, uh, commercial purposes, uh, work purposes and stuff like that. So I wasn't doing what most users in the Linux world do is, uh, you know, take a 10 year old device and try to breathe some new life into it and i think that's really where uh where we start to see a lot of separation uh with the uh, the modern versions of windows and the older hardware obviously with the um the upgrade to windows 11 <laughs> if you want to call it an upgrade right um uh you do have to have you know the what the tpm 2 in it and uh some other chip or something like that for uh, the security purposes Um, so, so like those things have changed quite a bit, aren't, aren't these like TPM
0: chips and everything put in these machines for windows? I mean, because Linux doesn't need them.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. I think they're specifically put in the machines for, for windows, but I mean, obviously Linux could take advantage of them for some purposes. I would assume.
0: I would assume. I don't know how they work as far as like, if they're API accessible or if they're, um, you know, published as far as how how coders would use them? Because I haven't seen a Linux distribution that touts, you know, we support TPM2 or, or whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're more worried about, you know, web services, you know, TLS and stuff like that. So <laughs> we, don't, we don't really mess around with the hardware side. And I don't really have enough experience with uh, messing around with any kind of hardware layer uh, programming myself. So I can't really get into any specifics on that uh, per se. But I mean, just going back to the UI, I think, you know, um, uh, I mean, I'm not running anything with windows seven anymore. I think I have one box still left at, uh, one of the, one of my commercial installs that runs windows seven. And it's only because, you know, just really haven't, haven't done anything with it. It has one task and it just runs it over and over again. basically it's, it fires off, uh, uh, excel stuff automatically <laughs> so just using excel for automation which is very weak use case but hey it does it fine <laughs> and uh and it works but i use windows 10 uh, pretty much everywhere else i i i did have a windows 11 box to play with it but uh beyond that i haven't actually messed around with 11 but i think your your work box is 11 isn't it
0: i, I do use 11 on my work machine and my laptop as well and I mean, they, they do present a fairly unified experience when it comes to Windows. They Like like everyone else, like macOS and like Ubuntu and everything, when they come to the desktop environment, they, they move stuff around a little bit. They try and jazz things up as they go along. But overall, the experience is pretty familiar. So when you're looking at a Linux desktop, do you want one that... Sort of emulates the the Microsoft path, the the way it looks and works, or do you like ones that sort of stray
2: a bit? Sorry, motorcycle going by the house. <laughs> Jesus, you know, loud pipes save lives, right? That's right, exactly. <laughs> anyway, except, except yeah.
0: when you want to like go out there and beat them with a wrench for driving <laughs> by it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm recording a podcast here. <laughs> Give me a break, people. Jeez, um, yeah, I, I you know, I I don't really uh. I don't I don't need the UIs to be the same, but I, I respect the fact that uh, someone can install a thing like Cinnamon or Mint or not Mint, but uh, Mate and stuff like that. And have a very, uh, a very similar like Windows 7 ish flash, maybe Windows XP ish experience where they have a start menu and uh, and all the apps categorized and stuff like that. Um, I don't use that workflow at all. Obviously with uh GNOME. <laughs> so uh and uh with my Windows ten box I don't really care about you know, I don't pin apps except for to the task bar. And that's probably similar to what you do to your little taskbar, which is the more modern center center bar, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, I use the not not maximized width center bar and always auto hid because that's I don't know, it just works for me. But honestly, at this point in the development of desktop environments, do you think there's any desktop environment somebody could put in front of you that you wouldn't know how to use? I mean, I don't think that would be the case. Everybody sort of has an idea of how a desktop environment should work. And regardless of where a button might be or a drop down or something like that, I think they'd all feel pretty familiar at this point.
2: Yeah, I, I would say the only interface that I generally have hesitation on diving into would be like, uh, like those, uh, um, What do they call it? Tiled interface. The TWMs, (laughs) tiled window managers. Yeah. 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 So like that's the only one that I wouldn't be terribly happy with because I just, I don't like that. I'm, but you know how to use it. You just wouldn't want to use it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think they're all intuitive enough. Um, including, you know, pretty much all the major, you know, streamline, uh, Linux desktop window environments window managers and stuff like that. I think I think they were all <laughs> so uh, refined to this point that you, you, you're you just nitpicking at each one, <laughs> you know. Uh, they you know, nitpick the Microsoft one because, uh, you know, they'll throw ads or um, if you don't clean up your start menu on Windows 10 to begin with, uh, you'll have all that stupid flashy stuff to the right of your start menu. Uh, but uh, most pro users unpin all those apps and then shrinks the uh, start menu back down to the original, you know, Windows 7-ish. Style of start menu. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see much variation in Windows and Linux in that kind of area anymore. That is is terribly uh, off putting.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, what about say like performance? There, there used to be a pretty significant performance gap. Like you could do a lot more in Linux with the same processor. Than you could before, do you think that gap is shrinking does does Windows feel more efficient it it's never really felt efficient to me and i don't yeah. I think that gap still exists. I think it may be shrinking to a certain extent, but I still feel like if you run Linux on a machine that you're going to get better performance than you will out of windows
2: um i you know i i don't i don't I don't have that that immediate opinion anymore. Um, I know like, okay, so most windows machines that are managed machines on active directory server have already a slight delay to everything that has to run just because of, of security and stuff like that. So in general, like I hate operating machines that are that way. But if I look at my, uh, my little, you know, gaming PC that I use all the time, I mean, it literally is the fastest machine (laughs) that I have. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, if I put Linux on it, I'm sure it would be just as fast too. Uh, but like it doesn't have the constraints of, of, of being, you know, Windows Pro and having, uh, you know, the Active Directory crap in it and stuff like that. And all the extra security for logins and stuff. So, um, I mean, if you're just considering like Windows Home versus, uh, you know, a straight Linux install, um, uh, non managed, you know, no, You know, no Linux connecting to LDAP and stuff like that, which I've never been on a Linux machine connecting to LDAP. And I don't know if there's a a performance hit along that same line. So I can't really compare, you know, an LDAP based, you know, authenticated Linux session versus a regular Linux session. But I would say that they're probably equally as fast on the same hardware. It's, it's when you compare it to like running Windows on a very old machine. Uh, to Linux on a very old machine. I think that's where you see the big performance jumps because Linux generally is, you know, is, is pretty much supportive of the older hardware and generally less, less weight. But on modern, you know, newer hardware, uh, yeah, I mean, Windows 10 is, is, is very performant and Windows 11 is very performant. Again, so I'm going to go
0: back to the idea though that that's because modern hardware is built for Windows. Whereas Linux will just take advantage of anything you throw at it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's where you see that distinct advantage is that you know Linux definitely shines when you're on older hardware. Period. I I agree wholeheartedly.
0: So you don't you don't really feel like if if you're on modern hardware, you feel they
2: they will run adequately or equal. Yeah, yeah. I would say they're 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 pretty close. They're pretty close. I mean, what most people do to you know compare them are generally you know running steam games you know and they're running proton versus a native and uh there's tons tons and tons of data on that stuff and you can see that there's just very marginal difference between the two depending upon like you know how how complex the game is and stuff like that um and i i think they're they're really close in that area and that's really when the hardware is taxed the most when you're you know using high-end discrete graphics and you're using you know All the, all the bells and whistles to make sure that your, you know, game loads and shaders and all that other garbage and stuff like that. So I think on a, on a properly equipped machine, you're, you're going to be hard pressed to really find those differences unless you're using benchmarking utilities. Uh, visually it's, it's really hard to tell. Um, as long as the app is, you know, the same app and it's designed in an optimized fashion. It's not like you're just loading something and saying, Oh, well, this runs great on Linux, but like, you know, the Windows client is you know, running an electron or something, you know, something stupid like that, where, you know, it's already hindered because of how it's running. So yeah, that, that area is kind of hard to, uh, you know, compare apples to apples, um, with the applications. Cause there's just slight differences in them both. But like, you know, if you look at Chrome or something like that, that's, you know, existed in both, uh, yeah, they're both, you know, performant, you know, with rendering and, and stuff like that, they both use graphics acceleration and, they both take advantage of what they can in both environments, and and I don't really notice much much performance difference between the two on equal hardware.
0: One one of the places where Windows always seemed to shine was gaming because most of the games were written for Windows, and I don't know that Linux. I mean, we do have a lot of crossover now with Steam and and some of the other engines that allow gaming on both platforms. But I'm still not sure Linux is caught up. And I think that may still be a function of the fact that more than most games are are tooled towards like Windows or towards like Xbox and PlayStation and stuff like that and don't really focus on Linux as a platform to run games, but I think that gap is shrinking for sure.
2: Yeah, that great gap has definitely been shrinking and again you can you there's tons of data out there for that um you know the big the big the big differences are on the the newer you know the newer high tier title games or whatever that are specifically you know running on you know has to be RTX or has to be a specific driver version in windows you know <laughs> i've seen some games not launch very well inside of windows <laughs> and yeah they they typically don't run in in linux at all so um but yeah that's you know a very niche uh, uh area and, uh, you know, I would, I would not, not really recommend somebody switching to Linux to run games specifically. Um, but like it's, it's doable these days where it used to not be doable at all. Like you would have to go a lot of, you know, workarounds and all kinds of things to get your game to run. You'd have to run it in OpenGL mode, but you know, now we actually have driver availability that's, you know, fairly current. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole different world we have today. So those those gaps are continually being shrunk.
0: All right, let's let's do one more quick category, and then we'll we'll wrap this up. So, if if you wanted to put together a ham shack machine with Windows and purely Windows native software, or Linux and purely Linux native software, do you think you could build comparable machines for comparable cost, or do you think Linux is stronger there? I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely say. Linux is stronger. You could do the same thing with Windows, but you'd, you'd have to go with cross-platform software because then you could build them sort of exactly the same. But if you wanted to do Windows native only, I think you you would be lacking.
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, if you look at most of the software that we use, like, you know, uh, WSJTX, FL Digi, I mean, those builds are, are built uh, in both environments, and they both run very performant in both environments. Uh, some of the, you know, deviations of course are are in logging just because there's not a lot of uh cross-platform logging apps that people would generally use like if i knew i was running uh windows i would probably go back to uh you know dx keeper for my logging software just because it's free and it runs really well and it's really uh full featured um so like yeah when i was running windows that's what i that's what i had (laughs) i had dx keeper wsjtx fl digi um, there are a few little pieces, like the contesting software, of course, that Windows always wins out on because it has N1MM plus <laughs> plus, you know, and uh, uh, contesting with RIDI in that as well works really well with uh, MM was MM something MM um, blah, 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 blah. MMTTY MMTTY as the uh, interface, and I really haven't done a contest. Uh, well, I guess I have using FL Digi. But like in windows i didn't generally wouldn't use f l. digi for my uh RIDI contests, so like that's one area where i I use something very specific to windows uh to do that um at least the last time i I ran windows in that kind of uh a contest format um but like I would say they're both very very doable to have uh you know free software in both that runs really really well. It's not like I had have to go out and buy you know a logging software although they are available in in windows you know our favorite favorite people to hate right <laughs> or hate on not really hate i don't hate hrd i just like hating on them because it's fun
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
2: a good software right um uh, but like if i were running windows i wouldn't use it uh because i really like to dx keepers. so like i already have my favorite so uh, i never never was plagued with uh that as a decision factor that i oh i have to have you know hrd um, you know, inside my Linux install, because I'm so in- entrenched in using it for everything else, so I never really got to that point um, in in the Windows environment. But I think you could build a station on both. And considering you generally pay for a Windows license when you b- buy a PC, um, you kind of that-, that cost is negligible at some point. And if you go and look at uh, Linux specific machines and-, and compare, you know, apples to apples to a Windows, you know, comparable laptop. Yeah, let's say compared to a system 76, um, or, you know, even the dev one from HP, I mean, they're going to be similarly priced. There's probably not as much of a a windows penalty as there, there used to be. Uh, you know, I think only a few vendors still show that option. If we don't put windows on there, you can save, you know, 90 bucks or something like that. Uh, But I don't think that's as common, uh, anymore. Yeah.
0: I don't, remember the last time i actually saw that as an option it's pretty much just part of the cost and you know it is what it is so you you pay the windows tax even if you want to
2: run linux on your box <laughs> yeah so the costs are going to be pretty negligible in that area so so yeah i think uh you know i, yeah, I you know windows is fine <laughs> yeah
0: you know? um it just it they, just lacks the 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 libre part of free still yeah so.
2: yeah i mean the operating system is something that yeah you can't you are kind of locked into that ecosystem, um, but you do have availability of software, which is nice. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know really much, uh, much more to say about that specifically because you know they both. You could, you could put an adequate ham station together with both with very little, little extra cash.
0: Yep. All right. So there, we've we've decided that Windows and Linux are equal. <laughs> except of course for that that big thing about software freedom you know there's there's that huge thing that uh looms over the whole discussion that we will continue to talk about for for many years to come i'm sure until windows is open source
2: <laughs> <laughs> well you know they uh you know they're they're embracing open source everywhere dot net and everything else so
0: a lot, of, a lot uh, of their stuff is is migrating over for sure, and uh, there may come a day where Windows is open source. We don't know, and then they'll have some other product that isn't. So,
2: yeah, it'll be a uh, you know open core, right? Yeah, right, right.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, that's more than enough about that. I'm sure. Let's go ahead and get on into some hedonism. And now, now since Cheryl has like bowed out of the original discussion, she can come back in here and tell us what we got for food. This time around,
3: well, for food this time it's going to be something sweet. So, so this time I decided to pick a glazed apple cider cake, and because I did this, um, I wanted to you know remind everybody that at least in the United States, apples are being harvested readily right now. So, this is a bundt cake. It's great for fall dinners, and for it. It, we cheat a little bit because we used a prepackaged white cake mix, some apple cider, some eggs, some butter, some instant vanilla pudding, and you need some confectioner sugar and some apple cider for the glaze. Uh, the rest of the recipe, of course, will be in the show notes. And for my mixed drink corner this time, going with the apple cider thing, I decided to use uh, a spiked caramel apple cider beverage. Uh, For this one, it's hot, so you'll need to bust out your slow cooker. It makes eight servings, so if you decide to share with your friends, you've got plenty. If not, you've got enough for you. Well,
0: you said it's eight servings, right?
3: Eight mugs. Eight eight
0: mugs, so if you're going to share with friends, get out multiple slow cookers, because, you know, the first (laughs) one's going to be for you. yeah, the first one's
3: for you, yeah, yeah. And for this, you need apple cider, caramel ice cream topping, turbinado sugar, kosher salt, apple pie spice, some spiked or spiced rum, excuse me, not spiked rum, and some cinnamon sticks. So, and, of course, the, rest of the recipe will be in the show notes. So,
0: All right. Those sound good. You, know, you want to make some spiked apple cider? I could use, like, a hot toddy right now.
3: <laughs> well, you'd have to walk into the grocery store to get apple cider because I didn't order any. <laughs> oh, no.
2: Uh,
0: yeah, well, okay. But it's that's right not... inside the door. No, 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 no not doing it. <laughs> uh you are just trying to make <laughs> make me work today i've already I've already spent four trips going in and out of the car for groceries, so that's uh, sort of about done with that but anyway unfortunately tonight because i i am dealing with a cold, I decided not to do any drinking although I'm seriously considering it now <laughs> um but I did want to give a little preview of a couple of things that are coming up. They're they're newly discovered whiskeys that I'm gonna bring that I want to bring to the table and talk about. The only reason I'm um, not talking about them now because I could talk about them even without drinking them, but I I don't actually own them yet. I, I did that once where I talked about a bourbon that I didn't own and then I went and and went and bought it, but I don't want to do that again. But this is going to be for two bourbons that i will tell you right now are quite good so if you want to like get ahead of the game and go out and buy them uh, for yourself to have a glass uh to sip while i'm reviewing them later on this this might be a a call to arms or something but the two i'm gonna i'm gonna review as soon as i get a hold of them are stellum bourbon which is s-t-e-l-l-u-m This is a product of the company that produces barrel bourbon. But barrel is a lot of um, single barrel blended bourbons that they put together and put out as special releases, which makes them uh, inconsistent as far as what the product is because they only put out limited batches. It also makes them quite expensive. But they also started putting out another bourbon called Stellum which is going to be like regular releases. So they'll be more readily available. They'll be consistent as far as uh, flavor profile, and they will be much more accessible. So that's one I want to do. And then I, we were at a, a winery, actually, last weekend, and they have a significant whiskey tasting room as well. I forget how many whiskeys they have now, but it's like four or five hundred or something. It's it's a lot, yeah. Um, but I saw one on the shelf that seemed very gimmicky, but their their whiskey pour prices are are pretty low up there, so I always try and take advantage of that when the when we're in the area because most local whiskey lounges uh, charge ridiculous amounts for their pours. But what I tried was something called Duke founder's reserve the duke is the duke that you think it's a reference to john wayne's family they produce it uh there's more than one expression i happened to try the founder's reserve which we found out afterwards is a little on the high side at town and country it's 115 a bottle Oof. yeah <laughs> yes um but it's very good and it's it's quite unique because it's aged in chardonnay barrels and it's, it's definitely got a flavor profile that is, that is very distinct among the whiskeys I've ever had, and I'm not entirely sure it's worth $115, but it's good enough that I'm going to try and buy a bottle. So it's a fairly limited release. They do have a, a more common expression of, of the Duke whiskey, which is less than half of that cost-wise. Uh, so maybe that might be a route to go. I don't know if it's finished the same way, but whatever the case, uh, those are the two that I'm going to be looking at getting and reviewing in the next, uh, few weeks. So if you want to get ahead of the game and try and find those, if you're uh, a bourbon drinker, then there's a little heads up for you and, uh, we'll send it over to bill to see if he's got anything.
2: Well, I did want to make mention that uh I did find that Michter's Rye and we've kind of talked about it uh on uh on our own chats <laughs> and I wasn't really impressed by it uh, It was uh, recommended by a friend and uh our coworker and uh I was like, uh ah, well, I couldn't find it couldn't find it then uh, I went to the liquor store uh, over by the high school, which of course that has the
0: liquor the store by the high school isn't that yeah. like even
2: illegal?" <laughs> I
0: I don't know, is it? <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> anyway. it depends on how far away it is like, yes. It,
3: it is in Missouri. They they have they have to be so far away from each other. So,
2: yeah, this is a state liquor store, so I don't know, it's been there for a long time. So, <laughs> I don't know which came first, but anyway, I went there and uh yeah, they just happened to have uh, boxes of Mictors and uh so I picked one up and uh yeah, I just didn't I didn't care for it too much. I I don't the flavor is okay. Um but it doesn't have much of a a great nose and uh yeah i just i just didn't like it as much as like the let's say a rossville union or whatnot so um so yeah i just i took it down to my office and it's just my occasional like oh I'd like to have something and then I have it so so it's at the office for the occasional slippage uh, but i i uh, I went to the liquor store to to get something for the house and I was looking around i was looking for that stellum because you had mentioned that before to me couldn't find it, couldn't find it, but, uh, so I was sitting there staring at some, uh, some more Rossville Union. And I was like, okay, so it's, it's, it's expensive in the barrel proof. It's like $75 here or whatever. And, uh, then I looked over at the Peerless, uh, small batch, which is generally, you know, more expensive, but it was $72 for the Peerless. So guess what I got? Peerless. <laughs> <laughs> it was slightly cheaper and i do like Peerless as well and i was surprised to see it it being cheaper because generally everywhere i've seen it it's like either 80 or a hundred dollars or whatever uh you know even in i think even in kentucky i saw it for like a hundred dollars or something like that um but um but anyway i found it for 72 and i picked up a bottle and yep definitely not disappointed it tastes it tastes great and uh got got a just a little tiny glass of it right here and uh yeah yeah definitely definitely a winner Peerless Rye, um, it's 104, I think. Uh, yeah, 104 proof. Yeah, something like that. 50, I don't know.
0: Something. See that, that's what you're, that's where you're getting it because or they're getting you because Rossville's barrel proof.
2: Yeah, it's a little higher. Yeah, it's 57 uh, percent. So it's like yeah, 14, whatever, 114 proof or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the peerless has just a, such a great, great taste and, and smell and, and everything else that I, I just really like it. So seeing it was at a discounted price, I was like, yep, I'm buying that. So, so that's, uh, that's in the, in the shack as we speak. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what's going on here. Um, and you know, just ham radio wise, uh, 12 meters, man, let me tell you, 12 meters is, uh, is open longer than 10 meters is, even though 10 meters is really good right now. But like in 12 meters, I've been working uh, Europe all the way to uh, to uh, to Australia, New Zealand every day <laughs> So uh, in Japan and stuff like that. So you can you can run the whole gamut on 12 meters right now uh, with the band conditions. So uh, if you haven't haven't tried 12 meters, I would I would I would definitely try it. It's definitely a, a slightly different crowd than what's on 10. Um, if you uh, if you're playing around the bands and whatnot. Sounds good. I haven't
0: worked at A12 in a while. I've been I've been stuck on 10 and 15 lately because they've been so wide open. It's just been crazy. But all right. Well, that brings us down to the end of the hedonism. So we'll bring Cheryl back in here to to do our new subscribers and supporters and so on. And then we'll go ahead and, and get on out of here. So who, who do we have jumping on board this week?
3: Well, this week we didn't have any subscribers and Patreons. Nobody joined us on Facebook, but... We had at Vienna Ham Radio on Twitter. On YouTube, we had Tony uh, Tony William and Robert Zimmerer. On Discord, we had Heldren, Mister B, and ZS6CR. There were no merchandise sales. And this week on the live chat, we had Tony K4XSS and Robert W1RCB.
0: All right, very good. Well, thanks for for suffering through this. Uh, <laughs> Weekender with me and my cold and Cheryl with her cold, although somehow she sounds fine.
3: (laughs) My cold is truly just coughing up a lung.
0: Well, yeah, I haven't even heard you do that, so...
3: Because I'm dosed up on cough syrup right
0: now. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. You mean rum. Well, (laughs) so that seems to be working, I guess. It's cough
3: syrup mixed with rum, which works wonders, yeah.
0: Well, I'm going to go see if cough syrup and whiskey works. Anyway... (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We hope this was enjoyable and maybe a little bit enlightening and, if not, somewhat entertaining. So with that, we'll have a deep dive next time around, so be prepared for that. We're not exactly sure when we're going to record that. We will let everybody know uh, with at least a little leeway one way or the other, hopefully, uh, when that's going to get done. We did mention that our recording schedule is going to be rather varied for the next few weeks. So bear with us, and we hope you have a good one, and we'll talk to you on the next time around. This has been episode number 484, the 97th edition of The Weekender. For Linux in the Hamshack, I'm Russ, K5TUX.
3: I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD, 73. Thank you for
2: listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack.
1: LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke Podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1909 LHS Show. That's 1909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.